Hello, I'm Ben Barnes, CEO of We Are Unity. Welcome to Catalyst Conversations. We're forever focused on gaining insight into the hearts and minds of the Australian leaders driving change, from transformation and disruption to innovation and reinvention. And now we're bringing this to you in a podcast format where we'll be able to dive a little bit deeper into the lives and drives of our esteemed guests. And what a guest we have for you today. I'm joined by Vanessa Morley, Director of People and Culture for Nine, Australia's largest locally owned media company. And Vanessa's role sees her strategically designing the right workplace culture so that the organisation can really reach its full potential, a critical opportunity given the recent merger with Fairfax. Vanessa's worked in global brands like Coca-Cola Amatel, Qantas and Samsung over the past 20 years. She doesn't let her career define her. She cites her biggest achievement as raising three boys, including twins, and beating cancer. After that, nothing can phase her. If you want to know how Vanessa is empowering the culture to keep the business's creativity flowing, sit back and enjoy her words of wisdom. Vanessa, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ben. Now, tell us, what was it about you that made Nine pick you to drive their people and culture agenda? You'd have to ask CEO Hugh Marks that. I think what Hugh realised really quickly with me was I was a little bit different to what he had seen in HR people in the past in that I was pretty to the point. I was pretty pragmatic and but I was also creative and more than anything I was passionate about what it was that we did um, in creating great content. So I think he saw that pretty quickly in me and felt that beyond the experience that I had and the skills that I had that I was a fit for the organisation. I think you know, direct and, and transparent in given that, you know, it's all about transformation. It's all about pace these days. It's probably one of the one of the most critical qualities uh, for a HR leader to have. Yeah. And particularly in this industry. I mean, if we think of the pace of this industry, I'd come from FMCG, which I thought was fast. But when you're in this organisation, when you're dealing with media, the pace is just something that you can't ever understand. It's not even a 24 hour news cycle anymore. It's hourly. And so we are iterating and moving quickly. And if we aren't direct, if we aren't to the point, if we don't make our decisions really quickly, yeah. uh, then we're going to actually miss the cycle. Vanessa, you mentioned FMCG. Um, coming from Coca-Cola Amateur into Nine, what's the biggest thing that you've had to unlearn? Okay, I think Coca-Cola Amateur was an amazing organisation and moved at a pace um, that was incredible. But coming here, it's just really accelerated that pace. So the thing for me was around getting comfortable with ambiguity and getting comfortable with making decisions when I didn't have all of the information because the risk of not actually making the decision um, in when I didn't have all of the information is usually greater than making a decision that's, you know, 70%, 80% right. So I had to get really comfortable with making quick decisions in the moment and being really prepared to change them and mend them, pivot them, um, regard, depending on what the circumstances were because, you know, this industry makes decisions, takes bets, takes risks and if it doesn't work we change it we do it all the time when we put a show on air at a 7 30 on a wednesday night time slot and it maybe doesn't get the numbers that we want so we move it that's actually just how we operate that's how the decisions we make get made so uh, i had to i had to learn to get really comfortable with that yeah right i mean being comfortable with ambiguity uh sort of goes, goes a little bit against human nature doesn't it yeah absolutely absolutely but as i said 
we, I became far more comfortable with not knowing what I didn't know yeah. um, and, and understanding, again, that that risk of, of waiting till I had all of the information, which in some cases could take days, weeks, months, the risk to the business if I didn't make decisions in some of those circumstances was going to be far greater than me getting the decision 70% right. I mean, based on what you're saying, it sounds like an incredibly commercial business, um, but at the same time, you're a creative uh, yeah. organization in terms of you yeah. know, what you provide. So how do you manage, how do you manage creatives? <laughs> and this is more a question to, to help me in, in my business as well. <laughs> how do you, how do you manage creatives in a commercial business? How do you manage creatives? I think actually the approach that we take is one that's, that's less about taking a deliberate approach to managing creatives and more around creating the environment that allows creatives to be as creative as they can be. So we're really clear on, on frameworks and we're really clear on giving people the, the boundaries within which they need to operate. But for creatives, it's understanding that, you know, they do think differently. They need different stimulus. They need different directions. They don't operate in the same way that those who've worked in a corporate world will operate. So my role in the way we manage them is to, to give them guidance rather than direction and to give them frameworks rather than, than processes. And that gives them the space to be... Uh, creative in ways that suit them. It's about finding the right fit for the individuals uh, and, and allowing them that space. I think that's how we, we manage them and get the best out of them. Now that's, I think that's really nice, particularly around the individual component because you know, see a lot of organisations with a kind of one-size-fits-all yeah. uh, uh, approach so if there was some advice you could give you know other um you know directors of people and culture out there who are trying to make their companies more creative more innovative what what tips would you give them uh, i would say be creative yourself um, think about how you have to um, adapt to the people that you're working with. We do it in people and culture all the time. And I don't think we actually give ourselves enough credit for being creative in the approaches that we take. So one of the things I've really learned about myself is I'm far more creative than I'd ever given myself credit for. But that's partially because I think we get stuck into a best practice approach sometimes and we compare what we're doing to other organisations rather than thinking about the business that we're in. Mm. So if you're trying to get the best out out of individuals if you're trying to get them more creative go to where they are understand what it is that makes them tick and then just give them the framework and opportunities to work within it yeah that's that's great advice but start with your own creativity I yeah absolutely i think that's you know we are people and culture we are dealing with individuals all of the time we have to be creative in our problem solving but we don't think about ourselves naturally as creative people and i actually think that's what we are we're really creatives ourselves that's that's great now, with so many brands, I mean, you've got you know, AFR and the SMH, you know, this sort of you know, classic mastheads, and then you've got, uh, you know, entertainment businesses and, and Stan and you know, such a diverse uh, portfolio. Some are, you know, journalists reporting what's going on in the world, mm -hmm. and the others are consciously designing content to keep us on the edge of our seats like the block. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so... How do you balance integrity of journalism with the entertainment uh, agenda? Uh, it's a constant balance between the two, but I think in reality the, the, it's about the clarity of the audience that you're speaking to. Um, and when you're clear about who you're speaking to, whether it's through the mastheads or whether it's through entertainment, you actually find that that um, balance is really easy. 
So we find, and part of the reason we merged organisations is with Fairfax is we, we increased our audience. So the people who are engaging with AFR, for example, are not necessarily the people who are going to be watching Married at First Sight when it goes to air. And that's okay, but it's because of that distinction and knowing the audiences we're operating in, we find that we don't really uh, have too many issues with balancing that journalistic integrity. You know, our audience um, consume our news and current affairs because they trust what it is that we're delivering and we have to be really careful to not compromise that trust because mm. the audience will find us out. I think the other thing that's really important to note is that with our mastheads we do have a charter of editorial independence and that's a commitment that we make um, as a management and leadership team to not get involved in the editorial decisions that are made uh, for the Sydney Morning Herald, the AFR and the Age, for example. So that creates that, that artificial line between the stories and the way they need to be told in the mastheads and any undue influence that management can have. For us, though, even without that, I think, you know, our audience trusts what it is that we deliver to them. And if they felt that we were compromising the story because we were over-indexing on entertainment, for example, or we were influencing the story from an entertainment perspective, they simply wouldn't tune in or they wouldn't be buying our newspapers because they wouldn't trust us. Mm. I really like the fact you're talking about trust here because it seems to be, you know, a focal point for a lot of organisations right now, but mm. more so trust with their people. Mm. Um, and you use the words clarity of audience. Um, and, you know, when we look at a lot of internal comms or employee comms, there seems to be this one-size-fits-all approach, and yet we, we talk about celebrating diversity and you've clearly mentioned with customers, it's knowing the audience. You've got such a great um, sort of skill set and capability of, of all the journalists and comms people in your mm -hmm. business. Do, do you ever use them internally uh, for, the, for the people and culture agenda? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, all of our internal comms team have had background in journalism. Um, so in some cases, they've grown up through our own uh, site. So they might have been a journalist for um, nine.com.au um, or they've, they've worked outside in the industry. But because they've actually had a journalistic background, they actually understand how to talk to um, creatives and journalists better than any other, uh, you know, typical internal comms might actually be. It's not as easy when you're dealing with people who communicate for a living, you know, you've really got to be thinking about how you get your message a point in a way that they're going to believe it, they're going to trust it, and they're going to not be cynical about it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So we actually bring people in and out of, of our internal comms team from within um, our our own mastheads, for example. So we've just had an example where someone from our internal comms team has just gone into the AFR uh, and is now writing for the AFR. And I think that's a really important thing to, to leverage in an organisation like ours. Yeah, wow. I, mean, I think a lot of HR directors would be quite jealous of uh, the access to that type of uh, resource. Yes. Uh, now, you talk about leverage. Um, let's talk about a recent investment that your organisation's made in these incredible new offices in, in North Sydney. Mm -hmm. uh, how many levels do you, do you now have? So, at the moment, we have nine levels, of course. 
because we're nine. Um, so, but we will eventually have 14 levels. So at the moment, we've only partially moved in. We're, we're level ground to nine, and then we'll also be levels 20 to 23 in this fantastic new building. Right. Um, but, but I mean, we've got, you know, we've got this pandemic going on. You know, everyone's working from home. Future ways of working are being designed. And you've got this incredible new office. So what do you see as the, the purpose of your office in the context of future ways of working? Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and let me tell you, managing a relocation of this size during a global pandemic has not been the easiest thing to do while everyone's working from home. We had a fantastic change management plan that got thrown out the window pretty early in March. Um, but I think for us, one of the great things is when we were already talking about moving into this building, we were referring to it as our creative campus. So it, as a way of getting all of our people engaged about this relocation and remembering we were coming from four different sites, so from the CBD, from Willoughby and from uh, two offices in Piermont, we needed to give them a sense of something to look forward to. So we called it our creative campus. And I think that has played out even more than we expected to um, as a consequence of uh, the ways we've changed operating and the ways we are, are working differently as a consequence of COVID. So we were not an organisation that typically worked flexibly or remotely. We typically came into the office because it was seen to be the way that we created news or, or um, broadcast or creative. And now what we found is giving our site a purpose allows us to say, you come into the office to be creative, you come into the office to collaborate and you come into the office to connect. And if you're really clear on those things, then how you operate in your day-to-day -day world outside of those three things is up to you. Work in a way that works for you. If it's if it's independent work, if it's, um, you know, obviously our, our news team in particular are always on the roads, come to this office to create, to collaborate and connect. Um, and that's, that's working really well for us. And we're actually finding that, you know, we've still got a lot of our workforce working from home, but people are coming in to create, collaborate and connect. Yeah, that's, that's great. I really like, like that. The three C's. Three C's. Collaborate and connect. Yeah. It's almost like a sort of decision-making framework for do I work from home? Do I come in? Yeah. What am I doing today? And, and what is it that I need to do um, let me be really conscious of the decisions I make about where I work because it's got to have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that context, let's talk a little bit about the merger because, you know, it was two years ago, you know, Fairfax and Nine came, came together. Let's talk about the benefits first. So what yeah. were the benefits from your perspective in bringing these, these worlds together and integrating these, these cultures? Um, so from an organisational perspective, it was very much about expanding the reach of our audience. Um, so the reason we did this, and I mentioned this earlier, was because we could see that there was an audience that we weren't talking to at nine, and that audience that engages with the, with our mastheads, um, you know, it's, it's, it's typically a different audience to those who might watch A Current Affair. And so the benefit for us was actually about increasing the reach of our audience and therefore going to advertisers, which is where we continue to make the bulk of our revenue, with a proposition that says, you tell us who you want to talk to, and the chances are across one of our platforms, we've got that audience covered. 
So you can come to us and you can talk to us about advertising on television, um, you know, doing a, a layout in print and now actually also engaging in radio as well. We're the only organisation, uh, media organisation in Australia that can you can do that. So commercially expanding that reach just made sense. So that makes absolute sense in terms yeah. of, you know, uh, uh, customer offering. Um, but then from a people perspective, because... You know, we, we work with a lot of group brands, you know, multi-brands, and there's there's always this sort of tension between let the brands do their own thing yeah. versus this concept of group and there's this collective uh, sort of, you know, betterment or whatever. So yeah. culturally, have you spent the last 24 months bringing these cultures together or have you let them be? We've let them be. Largely, we've let them be. Certainly at the beginning, that was a very deliberate strategy. So we knew that there was a lot of um, currency for those who were part of Fairfax in that Fairfax brand. And there was a grieving period that they needed to go through to be able to let go of that brand. And we didn't want to um, force a homogenous nine culture on them because actually of themselves they were a really successful business who had had a really difficult time as the media industry continued to disrupt but at their heart was a bunch of really great people who knew what they were doing were passionate about what they were doing and passionate about their brands and that was exactly the same on the nine side but the fact and again I bring it back to the audience the tone in which we speak it across our businesses is really different. The tone in which we reach our audience is really different. So it didn't actually make sense for us to rush into creating a homogenous culture for the organisation because that would actually slowly take apart all of these benefits that we were getting uh, in bringing the organisations together. So instead we took, a, we took a wait and see and let's see how the benefits and see what were the things that brought us together? What were the things that were common across the organisation, regardless of which part of the business you were in? And how do we make them the anchor for the culture moving forward? So we've just been doing a piece of work. We've just finalised our what we're calling our nine DNA because the thing that we realised was whether you were a journalist for the Sydney Morning Herald, whether you were in our programming team coming up with the ideas for amazing entertainment or whether you worked in news and current affairs at nine, you were passionate, you were creative and you were ambitious. Now, the way that plays out and the way the behaviours uh, show up in each of the businesses is really different. But having that anchor in these three things that we have in common is what actually helps us develop some benefits um, from a cultural perspective. But we will always have different subcultures. We will not only just have different subcultures between um, our newspaper business, our publishing business and our television business, but we've got different subcultures between 60 Minutes and A Current Affair. We've got different subcultures between the AFR and the Sydney Morning Herald. And that's okay in our business. And in fact, we celebrate that because that helps them create their own distinct tone, their distinct voice and talk to the audiences that they have. That's a really commercial way of of looking at it, you know, quite often when you hear people talk about culture, they talk about our business, our culture, like it's like there's just one culture. Yeah. So I, I think the acknowledgement of there are subcultures and there actually need to be subcultures, you know, just makes sense, doesn't it? So bit of a roller coaster for you. I mean, A, the merger, well, A, you know, you, you talk about a different industry and just the pace of it. Then 
the merger, then the pandemic, <laughs> huge. What's been your biggest challenge and learning through all of all of that, and particularly on from a merger perspective? Uh, look, I think um, like a lot of female leaders in particular, I actually think I had a bit of imposter syndrome, um, and I was only in this. I was only in my role for eight weeks before we announced the merger. And so I was just getting my head around the industry, uh, the television industry and the digital industry as it was, let alone a broader media industry. So of course, the first thing I thought on merger was I'm about to lose my job because I've been here eight weeks, what on earth do I know? Um, and my counterpart on, on the other side had been in the industry for 14 years. So my first thought was, I'm not gonna make it here. And I had to then just get over it and actually understand and, and back myself with, with what it is that I knew. And going back to your first question around why Hugh picked me for the role is because I fit in this organisation. I knew what I was talking about. I knew I had a lot to offer and I had to actually back myself with that. So that was my first bit, get over my imposter syndrome and, and actually accept that I knew what I was doing. Um, the second thing I think was just being okay with things not going the way we planned. Um, in a merger of this size, um, you know, perhaps coupled with the fact I was new to the industry, but things didn't always go the way we expected it to. Changes didn't always land the way we expected them to. And I remember having a conversation um, with my team, and you use the term roller coaster. We quite literally said, this is gonna be a roller coaster. And the choices that we have is to either scream every time we go over a bump, or throw our hands in the air and have some fun. And I think for the most part, we did the latter. You know, we, we didn't get things right. And we went into things saying, we're not gonna get this 100% right. We were okay with it. But we literally threw our hands in the air a whole lot of the time and had a lot of fun with it and learnt from the mistakes we made along the way. Wow, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fantastic way of looking at it. Okay. So in that context then, and I have to ask everybody this question, um, if you could travel back in time and, because uh, when did you start this, this role? Was it? So it was May 2018. May 2018. Okay. So yeah. let's go back in time to May 2018. Um, and you're at day one of this job. What, what advice would you give yourself? I would probably say buckle up. <laughs> it's about to get interesting. Um, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting because, and it goes a little bit back to the imposter syndrome, there's a part of me that actually thinks, had we already been a merged entity, I might not have gone for this role. I might not have thrown my hat in the ring. I might not have thought I was actually big enough for this role. Um, so I think, you know, buckle up and have some fun with it is, is the best advice that I would give myself because I've had a blast like this has been just the most exciting you know couple of years of my career um, I've had the best time but it hasn't always been easy so I've strapped in uh, and, and I've mostly kept myself sane along the way <laughs> fantastic well that's clearly some, some great advice buckle up I've written it down uh, <laughs> now Vanessa we're, we're out of time unfortunately but I want to say thank you so much for for, for sharing today and you know, as far as connecting collaborating and creating we wish you and the, the team at nine all the best absolutely thanks so much for having me
That's all for today's Catalyst Conversation. In our next episode, I'll be interviewing Anthony Rich, the global CEO of the multi-brand hotels group TFE Hotels, about building brands through people. I genuinely believe the guests we bring onto this show have some unique wisdom and insight to share. So if you found the content valuable, why not rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it with others in your community. You can also continue the conversation over on our LinkedIn page in the comments of each episode. If you're navigating change, transformation or innovation in your organisation, we'd love to share, learn and co-create with you. We at Unity exist to help businesses reach their full potential through their people. So head over to weareunity.com for more thought leadership and case studies. I'm Ben Bars. Keep growing and keep contributing.